Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. I'm Charlie Wright and today is April 3rd, 2015. We're very pleased to have with us John Cole Scott of Closed End Advisors. John speaks to us from their headquarters in Richmond, Virginia. John Cole Scott, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you so much, Charlie. Uh, okay, so John, let's begin with a background of yours and a history of Closed End Fund Advisors. Well, I'll be brief because it's only somewhat interesting, but we actually are an art registered investment advisory firm founded in Santa Barbara, California, that our family found in distress in the mid-90s. Uh, Frank Capiello bought Control, sold my, sold my father 49%. We then bought the other 51% a few years later, and in the late 90s moved to Richmond, Virginia, where we are uh, lived as a family. I've been at the firm since 2001. The original model was a very pure you know, registered investment advisory model working blended through individual investors as well as through financial advisors. We, of course, specialize in closed-ended funds. They are the oldest fund structure in the U.S. There's about 600 to choose from, and they go from taxable bond investments to municipal or tax-free bond to, of course, many equity strategies. In my career, I've actually added um, some other services. We have a self-sourced data service that's bought by advisors and some individuals and institutions that primarily go to the primary content of closed-end funds. We have about 160 data points for closed-end funds. We also cover business development companies, which are very similar to closed-end funds with about 100 data points. Um, that work really drives our portfolio models. We offer nine investment objectives from tax-free investing to growth and income to high yield to uh, business development companies and, and all sorts in between. In the last six months, some exciting things have happened. We've actually partnered with a group called Smart Trust UIT up in Parsippany, New Jersey, and have built a unit investment trust, which is a type of investment for financial advisors that focuses on the BDC sector. And uh, that's we've been able to raise almost $100 million in that structure in uh, five short months. So it's been a great opportunity to partner with that firm. Um, that's hopefully a good introduction of what we're doing. We're tactical in our approach. We're fundamental as well. So it's the what's the portfolio manager doing and what's the close and fund alpha nuance and risk that we can avoid or, or tap into. Okay, well, thank you, John. So tell us here, uh, why should someone consider closed-end funds? So closed-end funds, I'm a little biased, clearly, because I was born owning shares. My father and a friend bought Control One in the 70s, which led his career into my career. But what I like about them is it allows portfolio managers' permanent capital to be more long-focused, less redemption-focused in what they purchase for the portfolio. It also allows them to uh, use leverage. So leverage can be done not in every fund uh, by design, but bond funds tend to use leverage. It helps give a higher yield, of course, a more volatile 
net asset value, but a higher yield, and the borrowing costs are so cheap. And then even for the tax-free bond funds, that you can't even borrow in the, re- in the retail world on a muni bond investment and um, keep the tax benefits of it. So it's really the only way to get permanent capital, professional management, and investor liquidity. So if you change your mind, you can go to the open market and find a seller if you're a buyer and a buyer if you're a seller. And I think going after that, that blended opportunity and understanding that it's a, a I won't say a volatile sector, but shareholders do the darnest thing sometimes. And if you have a contrarian um, opportunity, you can typically get much better entry points. And if you're willing to give up owning a fund when it gets too expensive, you have a chance to make some extra repeatable alpha as well. So, John, uh, you tell a compelling story. Tell us um, if closed-end funds are, are, are so strong or are such an opportunity, why are they so unknown in the marketplace? Well, while they go back to the uh, 1893 and the New York Stock Exchange, you'd think there'd be people that are very passionate about them. A couple things happen. They are raised in the retail market, uh, the primary offering, and then sold through typically retail client, have been for, for pretty much the entire life of the structure. Once the fund is born or created and the manager is doing his job, no one can get paid directly to support that investment out in the marketplace. Um, good or bad, it's a different structure, but open-end funds, um, separately managed accounts, and ETFs all can have wholesalers or salespeople that call on institutions, advisors, and if they can double the inflow or the growth of that investment, then they can, of course, double uh, their income. So part of it is there's no marketing or sales reason behind it. The other thing is that a lot of the big money either doesn't have interest in the tax benefits often associated with the equity income funds um, or the municipal bond funds where they don't pay individual taxes. At the same time, liquidity, um, a million dollars a day is considered rather liquid in liquidity for a closed-end fund. There's only a handful above $5 million a day and a good number below half a million dollars a day. So there's not the tax benefit for big institutions, and there's also they can't change their mind quickly. So the people in the space that are big, typically they're like aircraft carriers doing figure eights versus speedboats. And a firm like ours, mid-sized firm, $100 million change in assets tactically, is able to go after and be tactical, yet also have the, the resources. But there's no salespeople, so there's no buzz. I see. Now, that's a very good point I hadn't heard before and hadn't thought of, that there are no salespeople out there. And that makes sense because once they are initially subscripted, uh, they're bought and sold in the open marketplace, and the fund doesn't have any financial incentive for anybody to buy more here. So uh, that makes sense. Because then the ongoing cost to the fund, there's no marketing or sales cost. So the the management fee is actually lower because of that. Uh, but it, it changes the, the nature of the security. Okay, so so what do you see are the primary advantages of closed-end funds? So, again, I really, we approach it from a two-angle two perspective. It's that income focus, even on the equity fund side. Uh, the average taxable closed-end fund yields 7 and change percent. It depends on the market environment. People think that may sound high, but the discounts can are often 5 to 10%, uh, which is obviously increases the yield. If you have a dollar and you can buy it for $0.95 cents or $0.90, cents, then the income production of that dollar is higher just by mathematical principle. Secondly, a lot of the funds, because they're trying to avoid deeper discounts, will pass through consistent long-term or short-term gains. So a distribution policy for a closed-end fund is not the same thing as a coupon for a regular bond, where it can be changed by the board of directors, and it's not, it's not like an outcome of, 
it pays it or it defaults. You know, it's the policy they're trying to give to shareholders. They pass through what they can. If they, if they, if it's too high, they may have to reduce it. If it's too low, there's a good chance to increase it. So, with that understanding, I think it's really important to understand that income is a piece of it. A lot of clients we focus on say, "Hey, I need five or six or seven percent a year in sustainable distributions," and we build a portfolio of roughly half equity, half bond, close-end funds, and then typically have cash flow of seven, eight, nine. And then they're able to try to hedge inflation or reinvest the surplus into future dividend payments for that client. The contrarian piece, which is when you're willing to have that feeling in your stomach, um, like in March of 2009, of I should buy the stock market because it feels really cheap. There's a piece of that in the close and fund world. When discounts are wide and nobody likes a fund, it's easier, generally speaking, to make money later in that investment because you have a good entry point. If you have a fund at a big premium, you can have the best manager in the world with the best dividend policy, and the down gravity can really destroy your total return. Yeah, and we saw that in, in 2008. A lot, in lot of them really got hit hard. Yeah. So, John, I'll hold that right there. We need to stop and take a break. We're talking with John Cole Scott of Closed End Fund Advisors in Richmond, Virginia. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. We'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. We're talking with John Cole Scott of Closed End Fund Advisors in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, about uh, closed-end funds here. So, John, uh, tell us, what are most people's major concerns when you start talking about closed-end funds and they're not familiar with that structure at all? Well, the major concerns are the leverage, because a lot of people have been taught leverage is always bad. And I would say leverage in a redeemable structure would be bad, because then if 2008 happens again and asset prices fall and you breach your leverage covenants, you have to sell assets to cover that, it's just a very, very bad experience. So when you think about a closed-end bond fund, whether it's tax-free or taxable, remember, it's a listed equity, generally on the New York Stock Exchange, that derives its value from bonds. So don't think of it like a regular bond investment in your portfolio. It's a professionally managed investment deriving its value there. And, and the other piece is the fact that they go, oh my goodness, sometimes this thing moves up or down 2 or 3% in a day. How can that be conservative? Well, because there's a limited number of shares, the closed-ended structure, if someone decides to be an aggressive, unthoughtful buyer or seller, the price can move very quickly. And sometimes it's a great opportunity to ride that tide and get in or out. But seeing that volatility, it is a little bit more than you'd find in most open-end funds of similar focus and most ETFs of similar focus makes it hard to own. The last group, they, they know closed-end funds, or at least a little bit, they um, 
uh, we love closing funds, hence the name of the firm, but it's very challenging in our research to buy a closing fund on the IPO and do better than if you'd waited 7 to 11 months. We find that you can usually get 5 to 8% better entry point by just waiting for the first semi-annual report and before the one-year anniversary. And so there are people that have bought on that IPO, and six months later they're down that 5 to 9%, and they go, wait, what happened? The market's flat. The market's up. So we need new funds being created, but be thoughtful about if you really believe the manager can perform great and if um, the investment can do well. There is some good news. The last couple of IPOs have done some interesting things, whether it's buybacks or term dates or um, just more thoughtful and creativity to avoid that risk. But it historically has been an issue and a downside to the structure. You know, I read about that for years, John, that the time to buy a closed-end fund is not at the IPO level, and yet people continue to do that, I guess. Well, people do the darndest things. (laughs) If uh, they all did the right thing, then nobody would be on the other side of the trade. I guess so. I, and then I guess no, no, nobody would would uh, purchase it when, when it first came out here. So what should buyers be wary of or concerned about when they buy a closed-end fund? So I'll say, and quickly, first, asset allocation. You're, you're put the bucket, funds that are in certain buckets in that bucket of your portfolio because that's the net asset value exposure you're getting. After that comes the closed-end fund trifecta. We like to look at entry point risk. Is it too high, too low, or just right? And that's versus itself or its peers. And you can look at places like CEF Connect to get that data for free. You also can look at the net asset value performance and compare it to an index or a peer group and decide is the the portfolio manager of the fund after his cost adding value. That's also important because the anchor point of the market price is the net asset value. So deep discounts are great but we need to see good performing and asset values. And the third thing is, as I've talked about, is the dividend piece. You've got to decide, is the dividend level in too high, too low, or just right? Is there upside or downside there? Because a lot of closed-end funds trade just on yield and discount. And if you bought a fat yield and you didn't buy a fat discount and the yield goes away or reduces significantly, you're, you can lose more than a year's worth of yield in a week. And that's not a good experience. So blend those three things out. You'll be better entry point. Monitor them occasionally, quarterly, semi-annually. And remember, if you bought preferred equity, it should be in that bucket of your portfolio. If you bought international equity, it should be in that bucket. Don't just buy closed-end funds to buy closed-end funds. Okay, and, and that certainly makes sense. So for an advisor, how, how would an advisor or an investor determine if that yield is appropriate or if they're, if they're paying out, if the distribution is greater than the yield, the, the, than the yield that they're earning? Great question, and uh, no one else uses it, though we've talked about it for my entire life of doing data work. Leverage-adjusted net asset value yield. Takes out discounts, takes out leverage, says the manager has to blend X to meet the board of directors policy. Look at the sector. Look at the neighborhood. If it's way above or way below, we think there's trends that will either be going higher or lower. You know, if you have a bond fund that has to clear 8% a year to meet the dividend policy, that sounds hard. If you have an equity fund that needs to clear four, that sounds easy. Uh, Muni bond funds, for example, average four and then produce almost six yield because of discounts and leverage. That sounds possible based on the what's in the portfolio. So some of it's what's reasonable and realistic, and we'd say backing out leverage and looking only at the net asset value tells you what the manager has to do to meet the board's policy. 
Okay, and so let's focus for a minute on the uh, the uh, distribution and on the yield of uh, of bonds, either municipal bonds or taxable bonds, and they're going to be substantially higher than uh, if we wanted to buy a mutual fund of those. So somebody who wanted a distribution and they're looking at the muni bond distribution and it's you know six percent and or, or higher uh, and and they're looking at taxable at you know seven or eight uh, percent or sometimes higher uh, and they're looking at a at half of that or maybe less with a regular mutual fund and they say why wouldn't I do this? What would you say? So I would say, first off, on the municipal side, these are generally the longer-term bonds focus and the mostly investment-grade focus. So if you want 90% investment-grade focus, you can handle a duration that looks more like 8 to 9 with leverage uh, included in that figure, then it's a great place to be. When the discount is, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8%, and the cost of leverage is like 1% or lower, and a professional manager can, you know, work his way through the market, then that's the place to be there. The challenge will be is if you don't know that muni bond funds can drop 5% in a month, go look at a chart in summer of 2013. The net asset values and prices recovered, and they did after the crisis. But you, the worst thing you can do, and we call this shooting yourself in the foot with a closed-end fund, is you don't realize the downside volatility can exist. Something happens, you panic and sell. Before you buy a closed-end fund, think about what would drive your decision to sell, either the market trend or a press release from the fund, and try to act on that predetermined relationship versus just being the emotional person selling because it looks bad. Or if you are going to be that way, just give us a call first. We'll be happy to help you with the transaction that you're doing. So. And, and that makes a lot of sense there. Uh, no question about it. question we always like to ask here, John, is uh, in regards to the strategies that you operate, what keeps you awake at night? Right now, what keeps me awake at night is balancing the risk between equity and bonds, where I don't think equity is very expensive, but I don't think they're very cheap. I think bonds, of course, have you know, investment-grade quality to them if you're in that piece of it, or you know, credit work that can be done to solve that problem. But we're in a very interesting spot of the cycle where it seems like there's risk and return on the credit and the equity side of the world, and balancing that is a big piece. The more general thing that worries me outside the whole close-end fund question, which is obviously my passion and focus, is we need to have rates go up probably closer to 3 or 4% before we have another problem. If they don't and we have another problem, then we have a bigger problem. So, you know, I like low rates, great for mortgages, great for the bond market, but we need to find a way to get the rates higher so that if we get surprised, our economy has flexibility to recover from it. And then those are the two different things, closing fund focused, non-closing fund focused, that keeps me up at night. Well, and, and, and that, that certainly makes sense. However, you don't usually hear that we need higher interest rates in order to protect us here. Well, and, and that begs the question, John, of uh, will the raising of interest rates have the same impact of the, on the value of closed-end funds that it will have on uh, fixed-income mutual funds? So we did study the last time rates went up about 4% in uh, March of, of 2004 through September of 07. So every market's different. You know that. Most of your readers know that. Um, we found yield changes across some of uh, the sectors on the negative side, some on the positive side. We found net asset value performances that actually held their own 
through that uh, market and actually typically outperform indices and open and fund counterparts. The key is, um, I think 90% of closing funds that paid monthly or quarterly in that environment changed their dividend policy, uh, some up, some down. But just remembering that the dividend policy is a policy, not a promise, and that total return, which means entry point, exit point, plus dividends is the answer. The neat thing about closing funds is that in that environment, the managers at the bond level will never have to sell. And when open-end fund managers are forced to sell from redemptions, a big buyer of those investments are closed-end fund managers buying those loans, bonds, what have you, from the open-end fund brethren and uh, getting good value for shareholders. So volatility will exist, but if you know what you're doing and you think about total return and you stay allocated, you should be in great shape. Okay, John, thank you. John, another question we always like to ask our interviewees, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Yeah, you had mentioned that uh, before. Thank you for that. Give me a chance to think about it. And, and I'm horrible at thinking of one. Um, because we do work in business development companies, there's only about 50 that exist, and they're relatively new to investors. There are only maybe five that existed 10 years ago. A good book that tells you what can go wrong and that type of structure or any others is called uh, Fooling Some of the People All the Time. It's a 2010 book by the um, investor uh, David Einhorn. Most people have probably heard of him. And I think if you're going to be in the BDC space or even be just in the, you know, closing fund space, though that wasn't a regular closing fund, gives you great perspective. Also, because I think bonds for people retiring for 30, 40 years aren't always the answer, a friend of ours, Simon Lack, in 2013 wrote a book called Bonds Are Not Forever as a follow-up to a book he did in the hedge fund industry. And I think if you're going to be a bond investor, you have to read that book. I don't get paid to sell his book, but it's a great book, very thoughtfully done about positioning bonds and why they can't be the only answer for retired people at the current yield market. Hey, well, thank you very much. Uh, we, we appreciate both of those books and those we have n- we have not had recommended before, so we appreciate okay. it. So give us your contact information here, John. Uh, so toll-free, uh, 1-800-356-3508. Our website is pretty easy, uh, CEF for Closed End Fund, advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. We also have a blog that's a little updated more regularly with videos, articles, and whatnot, um, cef-blog.com. And, again, you can find me. I'm the only John Cole Scott in the world, to my knowledge, based on Google. So if you look for me that way, you'll find all the places that we have information. Yeah, I can confirm that. I've, I've Googled you more than once, and uh, you're the only one that I've seen show up here uh, yes, and, and the like. So what closing comments do you have for our listeners here on closed-end funds, John? I'd say it's, it's important to be patient and diligent. If you have to get everything done today, then you're probably not a closed-end fund investor. And it, there's some great resources. I told you about CEF Connect. There's the Closed-End Fund Association at CIFA.com. There's a handful of writers on Seeking Alpha that do good work. Um, and then, again, we do hold a free research call uh, that cover all the data trends that we find quarterly. We do it live and post it to our blog after we do an article that, that summarizes it and give the slides out for free. So if you're going to be there, be patient, be diligent, and know the neighborhood, and you can typically win over the other guy. John, thank you. This has been very enlightening and interesting on closed-end funds, and we really appreciate your time today and your input. We've been talking with John Cole Scott of Closed-End Fund Advisors in Richmond, Virginia. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we wish you all happy and productive investing. 
You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security.